the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. We've had some of those sent in uh, here today. So uh, whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. I love Fridays because Friday is... Um, you know, the weekend is when stuff happens. You know, everybody else is off on the weekend, but it's 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 when things get busy and wonderful for us. So go to church this weekend. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. Look for the people that are lost and hurting and broken, needy and confused, people that you've never seen before, and make sure you make them your priority. Uh, the Lord will bless you abundantly. It's so much better to go to church and be used than just to go sit and spectate. So that's what's going on here tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm going to be teaching out of Galatians chapter 2, or actually Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Um get to deal with a couple of verses that that sort of changed the trajectory of my walk with the Lord, you know, 32 years ago or almost 32 years ago. And uh, so I love this passage of Scripture. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Let's get to some questions. I've got uh, a caller on line one from, it looks like, Shirts. Rick on line one. Rick, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, you know, the Jesus Revolution guy, Lonnie Frisbee, died of AIDS. He was a hardcore, unrepentant, practicing homosexual, and I don't see how I... Rick, what's your, what's your question? Well, you, did you know that, though? Of it's course. Not, it's, oh, okay, I didn't know you knew. I wasn't yes. sure. But at the, the, the Jesus Revolution thing is all fake. It, it, well, God wouldn't use a, somebody like that. He uh, Same with Parham, the first Pentecostal. He was a, a, a pedophile, Charles Fox Parham. You want to look him up? P-A-R-H-A-M? Rick, I, I, I've studied the Azusa Street Revival and his role in it. So thank you for calling, Rick. I don't know why you spend time judging others instead of looking into your own heart. If you would spend just three minutes, just three minutes, Holy Spirit, look at my heart. He'd have so much to deal with in your own heart, Rick, that you wouldn't be able to deal with all of the other. You wouldn't feel the need to deal with all of the other people. So, um, Rick, I'm praying for you. God bless you. And, um, you know, it's just it's a heavy burden to carry when you appoint yourself as the judge of all the people out there. Let me address Lonnie Frisbee for a moment. Um, I know several pastors, uh, two of them 
who are good friends of mine, uh, who were with Lonnie Frisbee uh, in the hours before he died. Uh, Lonnie was aware of his sin. Lonnie was aware of the gifts that God had given him that he squandered. Um, Lonnie's rebellion cost him everything in this life. Um, But I can happily report that Lonnie was genuinely repentant And before he took his last breath, uh, he had uh, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ um, and and asked for forgiveness for all of the the, the sins in his life. And they were many. Something else I want to say, and this is just for all of you. You know, it's so easy. We can make things so cut and dried. Um, Whenever the Spirit of God is moving, there are always going to be counterfeits. So the Azusa Street Revival, there were people there that had a great heart for the Lord, and they were really excited about the spirits moving. Um, but of course, they're wheat and tares, and the enemy is always faithful to bring his own people. And there are people who are just wrong. Their motives are wrong. Their methods are wrong. Uh, and yet God allows them. Isn't it an interesting thing that Jesus himself, um, when he chose 12, he chose one of them that he knew was a devil. Now, the Judas didn't know he was a devil at that time, but Jesus knew exactly, and Jesus kept Judas close to him, and Jesus loved him. And when we hear people like Rick, and this is not his name, he calls in using different names, when people um, are so hateful and so spiteful and so judgmental towards those for whom Jesus died, um, they're in a really dangerous place spiritually. And honestly, for for people who are professing Christians, and this caller is a professing believer, thinks he knows um, best for everyone, it is an amazing thing to me that we spend so much time judging others, hating others, and drawing a line between who is and who isn't. Even Jesus, in the parable of the wheat and tares, when the servant said, do you want us to go tear out the tears? The, the Jesus himself said that, no, don't go tear them out. Leave them till the time of harvest. The harvesting angels will get them. And the reason he said that was because tares and wheat look exactly the same. And Jesus said, you go around judging tares, you're going to pull up some wheat by mistake. And that's not our job. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. One other comment: the the movie he's talking about, the Jesus Revolution, isn't a farce. It was a story. Um, um, it was Greg Laurie's perspective on the Jesus Revolution, to be sure. But the movie um, chronicled a genuine move of God's Spirit, the Jesus People movement, back in the late sixties and early seventies. Uh, and we have people here at the church, and of course, I know many of the pastors who were who were there firsthand taking part in that move of God's Spirit. Uh, it was as real and as life-changing as you can imagine. And many of those people have been used by the Lord for so many years. And literally, the Jesus People Revolution uh, changed the course of history. Changed the course of history. Was it perfect? Of course not. Bunch of hippies, drug addicts get saved, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God is moving upon them. Believe me, there was a lot of error, but there was also a lot of love. That's what's missing with phone calls like the one we just got. Let's get to some questions. This is a first for me on the program. Um, I have two Lauren Bobert questions, or Bobert questions. I don't know which is the correct pronunciation. Um, and uh, let, me, let me go to phone call first, and I'll come back to those. I've got Jimmy holding on line one. Jimmy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Jimmy. Thank you. Um, uh, it was just the devil trying to attack the gospel, that guy calling. Anyway. Um, but I always say, the, like, the uh, devil huffs and puffs and threatens to blow your house down, but he's really impotent in terms of the ability to do anything apart from Jesus. So those things don't bother me. You I handled it very you. well. Huh? You handled it very well, and that guy needs mm-hmm. prayer. So Thanks, he, Jimmy. What's up? He, uh, hey, I wrote uh, Romans three ten through 12. Okay. And it says that 
Um, none of us are righteous. None of us are worthy. Uh, I'm, I'm worthless. And I know that all of that is true, that none of us are righteous and none of us are worth, uh, I'm worthless. But only through the power of the Holy Spirit, only through the blood of Jesus, it makes, it, it, he's the only one that makes us worthy. Correct? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Jimmy. You know, when Paul is talking. I mean, it really, it really like, hit me, like, home. And I said, you know, uh, because there's a, there's some people that think that they're, oh, well, I, I preach the gospel and I do this and I do this. I said, no, it's not you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength to do so. It's not yeah. you that takes the credit. I, I sort yeah. of dealt with that in our Bible study on this past Wednesday, uh, speaking of Ezra. Um, um, you know, too often we people take credit for the work that God is doing through us. And, of course, nobody wants to touch God's glory. And uh, we need to be careful. In this particular place, in Romans chapter 3, and these are verses, Jimmy, not that you're taking them out of context, but a lot of people take them out of context. You know, Paul is quoting the Old Testament, and he's doing it to support the conclusion. Uh, He says in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. Uh, In speaking about Jews, we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And then he makes the, the, the conclusion, again, quoting the Old Testament, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, and then he goes on with Old Testament quotations. But what he's saying is that everybody in our, unfall, in our fallen state, everybody is is lacking the righteousness required to go to heaven. And that's the point. He's making distinctions between uh, Jewish converts to Christ and, and Gentiles who are coming and saying, look, both sides are just as guilty. So he's saying, um, apart from Christ, apart from Jesus, there's no one righteous, not even one. In fact, no one who seeks God, no one who understands um, and the point he's trying to make is that the only righteousness we have is our righteousness. Now, the the difficulty people have with these verses, Jimmy, is that we take them and say there's no one righteous, not even one. And um, we, we, we kind of extrapolate that to say, uh, well, well, there's nothing good in my heart. We do that with Jeremiah. Our heart is, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. But But the difference is those of us who are in Christ— And Romans is going to talk about this a lot subsequent to this chapter. Um, All of us who are in Christ, we have an imputed righteousness that's been given to us. The righteousness of Christ given to us, and that makes us righteous. In fact, I'll go one step farther. It makes us perfect positionally before God. And the reason that matters so much is because when we understand that, then we don't lean on our own righteousness. Tonight in the book of Galatians, Jimmy, I'm going to be teaching uh, or have been teaching and will continue teaching on legalism. The Judaizers were trying to insist that we maintain the law. Um, The problem is that nobody can maintain the law. The law simply points to our guilt. And um, the, the, the emphasis that Paul is making here is that it was God who sought out Jews. It was God who sought out Gentiles, and and then that imputed righteousness becomes our own. So in Romans chapter three, we got to be we got to be careful with our application of that, um, simply because uh, Jimmy, you stand before God perfectly righteous, perfectly. Now positionally, that's the case. Practically, we know we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says that in his letter to the churches uh, in Philippi. So um, uh, positionally, we're perfect. Practically, we're working out that that position in Christ. And when we are with him, we will be like him. And, of course, that's when we'll be perfect. Jimmy, thank you. I appreciate the call and the question. I always appreciate your heart, too, dear friend. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Ruben on line two. Ruben, thanks for holding you on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I thank I you. Pray that you are blessed, and um, I don't like when the enemy tries to grieve your spirit. I don't like it, oh. and that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. But 
but you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. um, I wanted to tell you, I didn't have a chance to tell you yesterday. I want to thank you for telling me the truth and not sugarcoating it, you know? And, and I mean, you could have coddled me and said, well, you know, Ruben, given what you've been through and da, 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 this and da, 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 that, no, you told me like it was, and that's what I need. Hmm. And, you know, because how am I going to grow? And how am I going to break the, the systematic chains of legalism that I've been under for so many years, which yeah. I'm still trying to take away. You know, there's things that I'm still trying to take away. So I wanted to tell you thank you for speaking the truth and standing up and being bold in a time like this, especially in, in the day and age that we live in, to be bold enough to say that, you know. And, you know, uh, I know some people might take offense to whatever you tell them the truth or not, but I thank you for telling me the truth, for saying, yes, Ruben, it, it, it is a sin. You know, what what you did was a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, now, um, um, I have a question, though, just to follow up on it, and I've done it on my own, but I just want to know that I did it the right way. You know, uh, I asked God to forgive me for my gluttonous ways during that time, like, I hadn't asked him when I was doing it because I didn't realize I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it, it was a deadly sin. I mean, I read, I know that the seven deadly sins, but, you know, I didn't realize it. So I asked God to forgive me for that. And, I mean, is that suffice? I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's just that legalism is telling me, well, no, you already did it. <laughs> you know, why are you asking God to forgive you, you know, you know, and that, you know, the enemy causes it. He ain't going to forgive you because, you, you know, yeah. you're Reuben, you know. But. <laughs> yeah, and, and Reuben, let me break some more bad news to you. You're going to do it again sometime. You know, I mean, that, that's just who we are as humans. But that's a neat thing. Condemnation comes straight from the pit of hell. And uh, when yeah. we remember, yeah. and condemnation hurts so much, and it's so real, and it feels so close to us. Um, but that's the power of the enemy. And if he can get us to walk in condemnation, then he knows we're yeah. going to mess up over and over and over again. And he's sort of wringing his hands like snidely whiplash, saying, I've got him right where I want him. And with regard to telling you the truth, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to represent Jesus. Yeah, and I can yeah. tell you, Reuben, that Jesus loves you so much that if I were not yeah. to tell you the truth, it would be the most unkind thing I could do. Yeah. And additionally, yeah. you've made it easy to hear the truth over the years. Uh, and so much has changed in your life because yeah. the, the real Reuben, the real Reuben wants to hear the truth and wants to become more and more like Jesus. You know, when yeah. the Apostle Paul said, writing to the church at Rome, he says, when I sin, I find this law at work. It's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And so when the Holy Spirit points out that sin living in you and you go and you repent um, and, and, oh, God, I'm sorry, you're, you're fighting the enemy's lies. But at the same time, you're just making sure that your relationship with God remains pure, remains in, in holy fellowship. So um, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, every time, again, the enemy's going to keep pushing the same buttons. But every time he pushes him, just try to remember more quickly your position in Christ and that the things in your past are done and gone. And every legalist bone in your body is an enemy of your soul. So recognize it quickly. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you recognize it quickly. And Jimmy, I'm sorry, Reuben, it will change your life. It'll change your life going forward. That's how important it is. Ruben, you're a dear friend. Thank you very, very much for your call. I love call. you, sir. Love you too, man. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let me say a word, and I, I know Ruben's heart and Jimmy's heart when they call, but uh, I don't mind getting those calls. Um, when the guy that identified himself as Rick from Shirts, that's not who he is, uh, I repeat, but when he identified himself, um, you know what? There's an opportunity to minister to someone like that. And and if he would listen, maybe there's a chance for the Holy Spirit to break through. But uh, we can't take those things personal. My goodness. Um, um, when you do what I do and when you teach as directly as I teach, uh, there's always going to be those tares in the audience that are trying to do the, the work of the enemy. And remember, we have to love those people. 
That's what Paula talked about on the program yesterday. We have to love those people, even those that are pointing fingers of judgment at others uh, in in violation of Jesus' commands. Um, we got to love them, and Jesus loves them and wants them in heaven. So we tell them the truth. We tell them the truth in love, but we don't get angry and we don't we don't take it personal. So thank you very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let me get to my two questions that I've never had before, and that's saying a lot in our almost 11 years here on the program. This one is from Carlos, and I'll read the next one because they deal with the same situation. Pastor Ron, there's a story brewing in politics regarding Lauren Boebert, a professing Christian. She's taking a lot of Christian heat uh, for her 18-year-old, first, for her 18-year-old having a baby, essentially making her a 36-year-old grandma, and two, she filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable difference. There's a video in which she is preaching at church, saying to the women specifically, if you start chasing Jesus with everything that you have, I promise you that your husband will chase you chasing Jesus. Bobert added, to be able to speak life into a marriage, it seems like his ending is so powerful. And then Carla says, my heart breaks for her because she's not representing Jesus and there's no power in her life. I'm sure it's difficult to be on the political stage. Can you provide your thoughts and wisdom? The second one comes from Julie about the same subject. Uh, Pastor Ron, I believe we need more Christians in office. Uh, What hurts me is when I hear professing Christians in office getting divorced or doing ungodly things. No judgment on my part, but it hurts me when we're not representing Jesus the right way. Not sure if you heard about Lauren Bobbert, but she filed for divorce for irreconcilable differences. Uh, Her husband, Jason, says... I said yesterday, divorce is sad. I didn't expect this. I love her with every bit of my heart. She has been my soulmate, and she is the mother of my children. Uh, We've been through a lot together, and I just want her to be happy. Of course, we don't know the truth, but when is it okay to get a divorce? I thought when someone wants to be with someone, you try your best to work it out. Your thoughts are greatly appreciated. So, Julie, for you and for Carlos, let me just say, first of all, that there are a whole lot of Christians who don't do what they're supposed to do. I wish it weren't true, but there are a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians who don't do what they're supposed to do. And that doesn't point them out as being unbelievers. What it points them out as being is humans who are struggling with their flesh and they're struggling with sin. Uh, I don't know Lauren Bobbert at all. Um, Obviously, she's a public figure, and I've heard about some of the things that she said. And both of you are right. It is very sad when professing Christians are in the public eye uh, and they are um, misrepresenting the Lord. Um, um, but here's the one thing that we got to remember, and this this comes from many years of counseling, doing marriage counseling. You never know the whole story listening to one side of it. You never know. And because you don't know, then we need to be out of the place of judgment. Who are we to judge another servant? And these people are Christians. At least that's the profession they make. And so Jesus is their judge. And he knows everything. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6 says. He knows those who are his. Uh, Judgment begins at the house of God. We know that if they're in sin, he's chastising them or trying to correct them. This is really important for us to understand because if we do, then we don't have to have an opinion on this. This is something that we need to pray for reconciliation, if possible. We need to pray for Lauren Bobbert. We need to pray for her husband. These are Christians who are hurting, and we are to mourn with those who mourn, and we can't do that when we stand in the place of judgment. So um, I would love, Julie, and this is directed at your question, uh, I would love to have more Christians in office, but the only Christians I want are Christians who are going to be public Christians, And not just private Christians. In other words, I want what they believe and in whom they believe to affect the decisions they make, the choices they make, the way they live their life. What we don't need is Christians who become politicians and who compromise. That's very, very important. So pray for them continually. Carlos, I want to address one thing that you said, too. Um, her eight, She's taking a lot of Christian heat, and you've got Christian in quotation marks, uh, for an 18-year-old daughter who's having a baby. Um, you know, we're not responsible for the choices our kids make. We're responsible for training them up in the way they should go. We're responsible for living a life, setting an example for them. 
Um, but but here's a situation where um, we've got a mother who is publicly and politically engaged, away from home a lot. Clearly, there's some things going on in the home. And a lot of these children are getting so exasperated by the hypocrisy of their parents that they are rebelling. And and the truth is, every 18-year-old, Christian or not, every 18-year-old who's not walking with Jesus is in danger of falling, especially in the area of sex. That's just what kids that aren't walking with Jesus do. So here's a place for Carlos... Um, here's a place where you need to be praying for this 18-year-old. And, and, and instead of worrying about what the media is saying, just pray for them. Lord, here's another public Christian who is sort of falling away. Falling away. Please go get her, Lord. Please go get them. Please protect them and, and, and restore them and bless them, Lord. So I think that's important. One final thought on both these questions and for the rest of you. Let's not be so focused on the news and what's going on behind the scenes. Instead, be focused on Jesus. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR here's a question that just came in from our mobile app anonymously Hello, Pastor. Good afternoon. I hope all is well with you and Paula. Thank you. Things are well with me and Paula. In fact, things are always well with me because I have Paula, so no problem. Uh, Here's the question. What dates and where is the men's retreat being held this year? Also, how soon can we book a room for the men's retreat? Respectfully, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for asking. Our men's retreat is in September. The dates are... Um, September 7th through 9th at the Alto Frio Baptist Encampment in Lakey, Texas. We've been there before. Uh, Our guest speaker is going to be a dear friend of mine, a wonderful musician, Kevin Green, Pastor Kevin Green from Fort Bragg in Northern California. I love him with all of my heart, and we will all be blessed both musically and uh, in the teaching of the Word. Um, Room reservations will start late July or early August, and I think the best way to do that is to uh, email the uh, questions at CalvarySA uh, email address, and I will forward that to Pastor Ken, and he will make sure that you are in the loop and get the information that you need, and booking the rooms quickly is always important. So I'm looking forward to it too, Anonymous. God bless you. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hello. I've been been enjoying our Ezra studies on Wednesday so much. Every week is a blessing, and it's like I can't wait till the next week. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two things. One, I'm a little confused about Ezra. Did he stay in Babylon until 60 years after the temple was built? That's my first thing. And the second one, I had a question. I noticed that on the sacrifices that they only had male lambs, male goats, bulls. So they didn't have any, like, little girl lambs or or cows or anything like that. And I was curious about why were were all the sacrifices, meat sacrifices, I guess you'd call them, um, where they always, the male and, and no female animals. So I'm going to get off the phone and, and listen to you. And um, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Good questions, by the way. I've never had that question. And it's really, really practical. The answer is two things. Um, I'm also really enjoying the Ezra Bible studies. Ezra uh, is a giant of the faith, again, Old Testament, but he's a giant of the faith. 
and um, one of the most inspirational characters to me personally in the Old Testament. Now, with regard to the sacrifices, there is a spiritual reason and a practical reason. The spiritual reason that all of the sacrifices are males is because they're pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was a man. Obviously, he died for the sins of the world. And so all of those sacrifice were, sacrifices were pictures of, of how the forgiveness of sin comes to us. And so that's why they had to be males. Now, practically, God is nothing if he's not practical. Practically, if girl animals, female animals were sacrificed, then there wouldn't be other little babies born. So, you know, they would they would keep males who could reproduce, but there had to be a lot of females so the, 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 the babies could keep coming, and that's why all of the sacrifices practically were males. Great question, Cindy. I love the way your mind thinks. Um, I'm sure you've heard that before. Good, good questions. Here's a question from Kaylee from our email inbox. Last night at Women's Bible Study, so this would have been a question that was sent on Tuesday. Um, Last night at Women's Bible Study, Paula mentioned Jesus giving us thousands of second chances and lets us ask the same question a million times, and he doesn't get bugged or annoyed. How can teachers, and Kaylee, I know, is a school teacher, how can teachers be more like that with the students who are constantly disobeying and disrespecting them and the other students? I have a handful of them in my class, and discipline at school and at home doesn't seem to work. Uh, I want to be the kind of teacher that a Jesus that Jesus is without these kids walking all over me. Kaylee, I don't really think you're worried about the kids walking all over you. I think what you're worried about, and rightfully so, is the disruption that they cause in the class. Um, When there are some um, um, unruly kids, um, they inhibit the ability of the kids to learn, the kids who are there because they want to learn, and they inhibit that ability. So that's why discipline is necessary. Now, let me get very specific. God gives us millions of second chances, and he never gets bugged or annoyed. Now, his heart gets broken, and I think I think a human word that doesn't really describe Jesus, but but we we can understand if Jesus got frustrated with us because he wants so much more for us. But Kaylee, you're not Jesus. Now we're to be more like him every day, and that's exactly what happens. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is really challenging you in this area to love those kids and pray for those kids rather than just getting annoyed with them or frustrated with them. And um, the, 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 the reason that Bible study is so important, the Holy Spirit, through Paula in this particular case, he convicted you. This is how I want you to be with these kids. And Kaylee, what you're doing right now, the, the fact that you're responding like this, demonstrates just how and why God is so pleased with you. Because you hear something and you instantly want to change and you want to be more like Jesus. So that's how you do it. Now, because we're not perfect, because we still struggle with this sin nature and this ugly flesh that we have, you're going to get annoyed. Every time you do, remember, God loves them. Now, discipline them, correct them, um, whatever you need to do in order to maintain order in the class, but pray for them so that it doesn't become personal in the sense that, that being annoyed or being frustrated with them um, is, is giving the, the enemy an opening to, to harden your heart toward them. I know it's hard. But here's what we got to remember. Jesus loves them. And as you pray for them, you're doing everything that you can. Everything that you can. Ask the Holy Spirit to sort of arrest you before you lose your temper or, or you know, become exasperated with them and, 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 and it becomes obvious. And the Holy Spirit will check your spirit very, very quickly and keep you from being in a position where uh, people are going to recognize that, that, oh, she's upset or that kind of thing. The other thing to remember, and I think this is equally important, we can't feel guilty for having human emotions. 
you know, these kids, I'm sure that them walking over you is not the problem. Jesus allowed the human race to walk over him. But the thing that you want to remember is that you have the answers to the things that they don't. And the kids in your class that are disobeying and disrespecting the other students, they've got all kinds of issues. Paula also always says people are the way they are for a reason. And and your kindness, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Your kindness and your prayers and your example may just give you the opportunity to see some of those kids come to you when things get really, really difficult and ask you for help and for direction. And then you can tell them about Jesus. But don't get impatient with yourself because you have these emotions. Um, again, the kids... It's not that you mind them walking over you. It's just a disruption they cause in the class. And remember, they walked all over Jesus, and uh, that's got to be okay with us. At the same time, we have to maintain the discipline and the room decorum. Kaylee, I love your heart. Thank you very, very much for the question. Here is our next question. This one comes in from Anonymous from our email inbox. Um, I have a question about my salvation. I accepted Jesus in 2010. Even before I was saved, I looked back on my life and I saw that God saved me from things that could have ended my life in a bad situation. But somehow I was saved from it. For instance, I was involved with someone who took drugs and drank and was on occasion physically abusive to me. Well, I was able to end that relationship now and I'm free from him and the sinful life that was over 15 years ago. My question is this, would God save me from that life only to leave me now? I now think that I'm not saved, even though I saw God doing things in my life before asking him into my heart. I do struggle with jealousy and have been living in disobedience because I let jealousy rule over me. I know this is sin and I give it up to Jesus, but then take it back again. I hate it and just want to be free from this cycle and move forward. I'm tired of spinning my wheels and not hearing from God. Please pray for me to finally let go of this sin for good. God bless you, Anonymous. This is a heart that Jesus can really hear. You're like the Apostle Paul here. He says, you know what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. We all struggle with flesh. Jealousy is a bad fruit of, of, of our ugly flesh. And we need to understand that that's the reason um, the enemy is going to try to heap condemnation on you. And what you need to do instead is just rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for that, I need to go back to your first question. Uh, are you saved now? Um, of course you're saved. That's why you're being convicted of this sin now. If you weren't saved... I mean, jealousy is something that everybody gives into apart from Christ. Jealousy is a part of our lives. And this is just one of those things where um, you are concerned about it because you belong to Jesus Christ. You know, as you look back on the way God was working in your life and saving you from things even before you got saved, all of us as Christians can do that. When I didn't know Christ, when I was his enemy, or I made him my enemy, um, um, I, I now look back and see God's hand in so many things protecting me from crossing lines that, that I wouldn't have been able to recover from. Well, that's why he is saving you. He had a plan for you. So now you understand that there are things in your life that are going to inhibit God's plan for you. And so now you need to deal with this. And the way to deal with this is so simple. You've got to make a decision that because jealousy breaks up your fellowship with God. And then you can say, I, I simply want to be with you, Lord, more than I want to be jealous. I want to be with you more than I want to hang out with my old ugly flesh. Lord, I'm going to ask you every time those thoughts of jealousy comes, I'm going to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient. And I'm going to let you carry that burden. And Jesus, Spirit of God, I'm asking you to keep my hands off of those things so that I don't pick it back up again. And Anonymous, what you have to do is every time, every time that you feel those that, that jealousy coming back, and, and there's a distinct feeling to it. It's sort of like pressure that builds up. When you feel it coming, that's, that's the immediate moment that you've got to take those thoughts captive because you, you know it's from the enemy who wants to destroy you. And since you want to produce fruit for the kingdom of God, 
This is just one of those things where you got to say, okay, Lord, you have to carry this. And every time they come up, you just give it to Jesus. It doesn't mean that your feelings will stop. The, the, the enemy is there. The enemy is there to push those buttons and he's going to keep pushing them. But every time you start to get those thoughts, that's when you have to hand them over to the Lord and you simply think about other things. Think about how good God has been to you. Think about how much your jealousy breaks his heart. And then you just say like the Paul, the Apostle Paul did, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from this body of death? And then the answer is, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Don't let that conviction, don't let the fact that this one sin is holding on for dear life just understands that you really, really need to fight it and resist it, but you have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of the devil using jealousy in your life is to get you in your flesh because you're no match for the enemy in your flesh, just as he's no match for the Spirit of God. So deal with it on those terms. But don't don't let him cause you to doubt your salvation. Um, just understand he was always been at work in your life. In 2010, you surrendered your heart to him. And now the prayer is, Lord, I want to be closer to you every single day. And it's really simple. Just be with Jesus. Instead of being with those jealous thoughts, instead of being around people who are going to, to, to stimulate those jealous thoughts, it's real simple. Now, I, I don't have a lot of detail, but if you're in a marriage, the one thing you've got to do is understand that you're in one flesh, two become one, and you demonstrating jealousy towards a spouse is really attacking yourself. So look at the evidence around you. And I don't, again, I don't know if you're married, but if this is a marriage situation, has your spouse given you reasons to be jealous? Choose to believe what you see rather than what you think. And if many, many years ago that spouse gave you reasons to be jealous, but now he or she is walking with the Lord, it's real simple. Lord, I choose to trust what I see and what I know. It'll change everything. Keep fighting. The enemy's not going to give up quickly, but keep fighting. Good questions. Thank you very, very much. Here is another anonymous one. Good morning, Pastor Ron. Can you please provide me some biblical insight and wisdom? I hope so. Um, The question goes, my wife's parents, they're professing Christians who go to church on a weekly basis, are both on Social Security. Her dad has his own business. Over the weekend, I come to learn that her dad is bringing home $5,000 to $7,000 a month with the business alone. I responded with that people who are on Social Security can only bring home a certain amount. They started to justify what they do on their taxes. Her dad interjected, the cash is not always easy to keep up with and that there are a lot of expenses. Anyways, it's none of my business. I'm going to repeat that, anonymous. Anyways, it's none of my business. But what bothers me is that they take us and the kids out to eat every week after church, and they're always getting my wife and kids things, not me. What are your thoughts? Two things. It's none of your business. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. Secondly, you're wrong about the Social Security, by the way. I, I, Paul and I, we both received Social Security because we're old. We paid into the system, and, uh, um, you, you know, it, there, there, there are no restrictions. I, I don't know how old her dad is, but uh, at 65 years of, old, of age, he can get his full Social Security. And it doesn't matter how much he makes. So, uh, again, I don't know the details, but... but you don't have to, it's not limited to a certain amount of money to get Social Security. Uh, when I first started taking Social Security, I think it, I was 62. And uh, boy, that's 10 years ago. Um, back then, I could only take $1,400 a month. That was the most I could make and be on Social Security. But all of that changes when you turn 65 and you are able to then, um, there's no limits on the income that you can receive. So um, these are questions. You know, if, if you are aware of sin and you know it's sin, then you're obligated, because they're believers, to lovingly, lovingly point them to Jesus to deal with that sin. But um, 
to judge them and want to do something about it really goes beyond your responsibility to them as Christians. So enjoy your time with them. If they want to be generous and um, and take you out to eat every week after church, uh, enjoy the time. Enjoy the blessings. And don't worry. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Scott from our mobile app. Pastor Ramsam 69, verses 34 through 36 is David painting a picture of the millennial age. Let me read the passage. Uh, He says that heaven and earth praise him, the seas, all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. The people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Scott, the answer uh, is not really painting a picture. It's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of that time when uh, David's descendant, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne of Israel in the millennial kingdom. And what he's doing in this psalm is giving people hope. Now, he doesn't know this is a prophecy as he's writing it. We know that David was a prophet, but he was unaware of it. But what they're saying is, look, I know things look bad now. And there's a whole bunch of psalms like this. I know things look bad now. And the reason things look bad back then was because it looked like God, in many cases, um, had failed them. You know, when they were um, um, taken captive, um, the 70 years in Babylon, for an example, Scott, um, the people would have thought God failed. He said, we'd always have a descendant on the a descendant of David on the throne of Israel. And now um, the, the temple's been destroyed. Um, there's no descendant of David sitting on the throne. Uh, Israel has lost her sovereignty. And it would look to many of them like God had failed. And, and David is writing these psalms so those in captivity, and by the way, those today, can look and say, no, God hasn't failed. Don't worry. This promise has been made, and all of God's promises are yes and amen. So, Scott, this is a prophecy of the fulfillment of God's promises. I say all the time that the one thing that we really need to always remember is that every promise of God is fulfilled specifically. And the promises that have not yet been fulfilled um, the I'm going to throw out just a number, the the 90% of the promises that have, have already been fulfilled. If you find one that hasn't, well, that's for a future time. And this is one of those times when David was prophesying way down the corridor of time and space. Great question. This will probably be the last question today. This is from Barry. And he wants to know, is double predestination biblical? The answer, Barry, is no. Now, for the audience, double predestination, Calvinists uh, often will say God chooses only the elect, those who are going to heaven. And then by logical deduction, uh, he also chooses who are going to hell. And so God either chooses you for heaven or hell. That's what double predestination uh, means. The problem with that, however, is that predestination or election, whichever term you prefer, um, both of those terms are only used biblically in connection with salvation. It's that simple. So there's no choice. God doesn't say, okay, you get to go to heaven, you go to hell. I don't like you. That's not That's not who God is. That is in contradistinction from the character that has been revealed that we know God has. So it is not biblical at all. Um, Truth of the matter is, is God knows who's going to choose him. Uh, He makes his choice. He chose me to come to heaven. Uh, I didn't choose him. He chose me. But the reason he chose me is because he knew I was going to choose him. Same reason he chose Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God, out of all the people in the world, knew that there was a man with a heart that was really seeking God, and he knew what the response would be. God would not have chosen Abraham if, in fact, he knew Abraham was going to resist and rebel. So the idea, Barry, about predestination or double predestination uh, is uh, antithetical to the nature and the character of God, as is most of what Calvinism um, teaches, what Calvinists believe. 
So it's really important. You know, a Calvinist would say, God didn't die for the whole world. God only died for the sins of the elect, um, which means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not efficacious or sufficient for uh, everybody in the world. And yet we know, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that his death on the cross was sufficient or efficacious for everybody. But it was only effective for those who would believe. I know a lot of people believe Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, um, but, but they haven't accepted Jesus Christ. So they know that Jesus died for their sins. They don't care. Um, God's death, Jesus' death, was effective only for those who received the free gift of God by grace through faith. So, Barry, I hope that makes sense. Be careful who you're listening to. It can sound so logical. Well, of course, if God chooses who are going to go to heaven, then he must choose those who are going to go to hell. That's simply not the case. Hey, thank you for the questions today. A bunch of them came in. Thank you for the phone calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving at church. Remember, I said serving at church. Don't just go to watch. Go to be used by the Lord using the gifts of the Spirit that He's given you. I'll be back, Lord willing, on Monday. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.